Today we're going to talk about a time I thought I was going to die in another country, the truth about self-doubt, and how perception is related to reality. You're listening to Proving Grounds. So did you know that taxi kidnappings have been occurring with worrisome frequency in Managua, Nicaragua? Well, I sure did. And I was only filled in on that fun little fact while I was flying into Managua in the middle of the night. Now, let me take a step back from there and give you some context leading up to this event first. Back in late 2017, I was itching for a new challenge. Something unlike anything I had ever done in my life up to that point. And I couldn't quite figure out what that challenge was going to be. At this point, I'd climbed nearly a dozen 14,000-foot mountains. I'd been a director at a quarter-billion-dollar company by 25 and had just sold, and I'd only been moments away from peril a small handful of times that year. I was ready for something new. Now, it's kind of funny because listening to that short list of accomplishments sounds pretty inspiring. But the truth is, the mind's a tricky thing. And at that point in my life, I should have felt fearless, but I wasn't. I felt... That same self-doubt that we all seem to face at every point in our lives. And contending with that opponent was challenging. And it's an easy one to recognize. If you've ever stepped in front of a group of people to give a speech, and there's that voice that says, what are you even doing here? You're not qualified for this. They're not even going to take you seriously. That voice was still loud and clear for me. So, I did what any reasonable person would do. And I decided to fight that voice head on. And in the most extreme way that I could come up with. So what was something that I could do that would push me out of my comfort zone nearly every moment of every day? I broke the lease of my apartment, reduced everything that I owned to fit into a backpack, and bought a one-way ticket to Nicaragua. Now, I didn't stop there. I wanted to make it even more interesting. I wanted to purposefully do as little planning as possible going into it. I wanted that culture shock that everybody talks about right after you land in a new country to be as high voltage as possible. I wanted to be thrown into a new environment without any sort of knowledge to give me a crutch and have to rely on my own wits to figure out the new situation. Why? Because I couldn't reconcile that feeling of self-doubt. And my hypothesis was, if I can increase the threshold of when that voice decides to pop up by putting myself in situation after situation where I'm uncomfortable, then it will eventually just go away. What did that itinerary look like? The flight in was in the middle of the night. I didn't book a hotel. I didn't reserve a driver. I had an elementary understanding of Spanish. And I didn't make any plans on where I was going to go or when I was even going to come back. And I did it on purpose. Everything had to be spontaneous and overwhelming just to see how I'd handle the situation once I got into it. So, I wouldn't encourage doing this, but I'd never dissuade you if you've thought about doing something like this yourself. So, pro tip, if you don't have a plan, don't fly in at night. Don't be a hero. You got plenty of time to be lost and overwhelmed while the sun is out. And when I flew in, it wasn't like right after the sun went down. The wheels touched down on the airplane at 9 o'clock p.m., and it was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock by the time I got out of customs and onto the streets of Managua. Now, the advice that I was given about the streets of Managua is that it could be a very dangerous place for gringos if you don't know where you should and shouldn't be. And the neighborhoods are like really scattered. One might be safe, but you cross one street in the wrong way and all of a sudden you're in dangerous territory. 
The second bit of advice I was given is that taxi kidnappings had become a growing crime in Managua, which is exactly what it sounds like. Somebody impersonates a taxi driver and then robs you of everything you own. So even though they might be more expensive, you reduce your risk by finding a cab driver in front of the airport. And you're always supposed to check the cab for stickers to ensure that the cab is legitimate. But I thought I was going to outsmart that advice. Since it was nearing midnight in Managua, I was going to stay at a Best Western that was just down the road from the airport. I mean, it's a Best Western. They're bound to have a room available. Then I wouldn't have to take a cab in the middle of the night. Problem solved. I mean, they probably even speak English at the Best Western. This was my first mistake. First off, I didn't even know what this Best Western looked like. I assumed that it would look like every other Best Western that exists. But I didn't understand something about Nicaragua. Typically, the fronts of buildings are really modest. I mean, you could enter through some brick wall with a jail cell bar door, go down a corridor, and then find an immaculate place that you'd never imagine from the front of the building. So when I saw the Best Western sign and walked into a fairly empty room with a few mismatched office desks pushed together, I honestly thought that the hotel had been sold and this was some other business that set up shop in its place. So, my best attempt at confidence, I walked up to the desk and said, Se hablas inglés aquí? She blinked at me a few times and motioned over to the manager on the other side of the room and said, He does a little. And a little was very accurate. After <laughs> rephrasing a few times, I come to find out they don't have a single vacant room. Nada. Nothing. My stomach just sank. Right then, I had that gut feeling that it was going to be a long night. And that gut feeling was absolutely correct. My night had just begun. I needed to ask for another hotel that he knew of. And I pulled out my translate app on my phone because I knew at this point my command to Spanish and his command to English was no match for the above third grade level sentences that we needed to start throwing at each other. Pull out my phone, 30% battery. This is going to be a fun night. He calls two places across town. Neither one of them have a vacancy. Then the third call. I see him sitting there, nodding his head and smile. Excellent. They have a room. He pulls out a pen, and this was when I learned the next thing about Nicaragua. They do not have an address system. So, how this works, there's no street names. It starts by picking a landmark, and then describing what direction you travel from that landmark in kilometers, then blocks, then half blocks. So, it would read something like this. 11 kilometers north of the fountain, four blocks east, one half block south. So you're trusting that the address you get is using a reference point that whoever you're giving it to is also familiar with. But I had this little piece of paper. I was armed with the information that I needed to find a place to sleep and be safe. Out the front doors and back into the streets of Managua I went. Thinking back to the taxi kidnappings, I decided to heed the advice I was given and go back to the airport to get a taxi. Only once I got there, there was no taxis at the airport. They knew it was the last flight coming in for the night, so they were long gone by then. So I just picked the direction and started walking. A few blocks down, I heard this loud whistle. This guy yells out, Taxi, amigo! I looked over to see this guy in a jacket leaning on the hood of a really beat-up Dodge Neon. I thought I could see stickers of some kind of official-looking tab on them, but that's when I came to realize the advice I got about the sticker tabs was useless because I had no idea what those tabs looked like, and my Spanish was so bad that it could have been a sticker he got at a Chuck E. Cheese for all I knew. But at this point, my options were wandering the streets of Managua alone or taking my chances with the cab. So I looked at the guy, 
He seemed friendly, but I'm sure the best kidnappers had to look friendly or they wouldn't be making any money. But I dismissed that thought and decided that this was probably my best option. And when I got in, I saw that he had a rosary hanging from his mirror. And no joke, I had this thought. The thought was, all right, good. At least if he robs me blind, God's going to judge him someday. He spoke less English than I spoke Spanish, so next to none. But we were able to get our introductions pretty easily. My new friend's name was Juan. I handed him a slip of paper with the directions on it. And to my dismay, he looked very confused when he was looking at it. He flipped it over, saw nothing, flipped it back, scratched his head, then looked over at me, and I'm I'm pretty sure at that point, he noticed that I was concerned, because his facial expression changed, and he's like, oh, I know, I know, and he shifted the car into gear. Now, first observations about this vehicle that I'm in. When I said beat up Dodge Neon, I mean the door panels on the interior were missing, so it's just the metal housing, the windows were taken out, The speedometer didn't only not work, but the needle was completely missing. There were exposed wires running all over the place, and you could smell the transmission. Okay, you could feel the transmission. So we're driving for about 10 minutes when I start to realize that we're heading straight into the barrios. And by the number of locals carrying 40-ounce bottles of Tonya beer and Florida Cana rum, it was midnight, remember, it was a pretty safe bet that this was not a good barrio. Or, as my local friends, as I would make later in my journey, would say, not a safe place for gringos. Now, I'm just sitting in this cab thinking, I got a bad feeling about this. Juan stopped in front of what looked like somebody's house, complete with bars around the patio area. And he said something in Spanish, and then remembered that I didn't understand it. And he said it more slowly so I could type it into my translate app. He said, I think that this is it. Then, he leaned his head out the window and let out another loud whistle. Yep, this is it, I thought. This is the part where the car gets surrounded and I get robbed and killed, especially once the guys with 40s started slowly approaching the car. Now, this is where I started to get a little bit of trust from my new friend Juan. He pulls his head back into the car, and once he sees the guys approaching, he says, New place, I think, and puts the car in reverse. (laughs) A huge sigh of relief, and I was starting to look like Juan wasn't a taxi kidnapper, or he probably would have been his best moment of opportunity. We started driving around again, and it really did just seem aimlessly at this point. Juan would look out the window, he'd ask somebody on the street something in Spanish, and we'd keep driving around. So I sunk back into my seat, and at this point I was pretty relieved that I wasn't being robbed, but still just at a loss for how the heck this night was going to end. And without really meaning to, I said out loud, man, I sure hope Granada is better than Managua. And then Juan replied, Granada? Si, si, vente dólares! Now, my plan was to go to Granada the next day, because it's over an hour drive away, so I tried to clarify. Ahora o mañana? I didn't know if he wanted to drive me tomorrow and meet at the hotel if we ever found it, or if he wanted to go right now. So Juan replied back, Ahora, Managua is bad. Granada has good hotels. It's much safer. So I looked out my window. We're still in the barrios, and I wasn't looking promising. So... I decided, you know what, yeah, let's do this. Let's go to Granada at midnight in a beat-up cab with someone I can't get a read on because I can't effectively communicate with each other. I gave him 20 bucks and said, Granada, vamanos. He smiled and off we went. But this time he seemed a little bit more confident on where we were going. So with even more trust in Juan, but not still 100% there, I kept on pulling up my GPS every few miles to make sure we were heading in the right direction. But I had to be careful because... 
At this point, I was getting close to my phone being at about 18% battery. But I mean, we were taking a, a pretty off-the-beaten pathway of getting there, and I mean, onto some pretty rough roads for a while. But it seemed like we started to trend in the right direction. I have to say, though, that was probably the most paranoid hour of my life. Every single time we'd turn off the main road, I'd start just scanning and reassessing the situation. And any time either Juan or myself tried to start a conversation, in either language, we just didn't have enough vocabulary to keep it going. And I couldn't use the Translate app on my phone for any non-critical conversation since it's about to die. And that dumb piece of tech was my only lifeline if I got into a bind again. But that's when I saw the sign, Messiah Granada, 15 kilometers. And we turned in the direction of the arrow. We're good, I can be at ease now. But the fun didn't quite end there. We rattled our way into Granada, and Juan couldn't find the hotel. Now, how it works in Nicaragua, when a local can't find something, he flags down another local on the side of the street and asks if they know. The only problem is, it's 1 o'clock a.m. at this point, and the only people still awake and wandering the streets are either in no condition to give directions or just up to no good. We circled around for another half hour or so until we finally found what I'd later come to realize was the principal street of Granada. I wasn't going to allow for any more delays, so as soon as I saw a building that said hotel on it, I pointed out the window to Juan and said, there, there it is. I could have given Juan a hug at this point. He, he said, I'm happy you're safe. And I said, Juan, you truly are a gift from God himself. He laughed, and I gave him a pretty good tip for getting me to even just somewhere for the night. So it was almost like two o'clock in the morning by the time I got into my hotel room, and I was just spent. And it's funny because before I went to bed, I was talking to my girlfriend on the phone and she asked me, so what's your first impression of Nicaragua? And I'm actually still pretty impressed with myself to have the foresight of my answer after how I should have felt after all the night's events. And I said, I really don't have one. I'm waiting for tomorrow. I'll wander the city in the daylight and then I'll decide on my first impressions. And I was absolutely right. I stayed in Nicaragua for months and my perception of it changed drastically from that first night to the day that I crossed the border into Costa Rica. I would have been much more comfortable in that exact same situation after a few months of experience in that country. I probably wouldn't even have thought twice about it. I would have just said, this is Nicaragua, this is how things are. And that's where the lesson from today's story can be made. Reality is constant, but your perception of it can drastically change. All the components that make up an experience exist when you're both uncomfortable or comfortable in a situation. And understanding that is incredibly important because it'll help you detach yourself to be more objective in situations. And it frees up your mind from unnecessary things to the more critical tasks at hand. Because in my quest to fight self-doubt, I learned something important. It's never going to disappear. It's always going to be there. Let's face it. You may get more comfortable in a situation that starts to go away, but how often are you going to always be in the same situation? If you're growing as a person, you're going to be consistently introducing yourself into new experiences where you feel uncomfortable. So that self-doubt that introduces itself in those situations is always going to be there. So you can't get rid of it, but you can get better at contending with it. The more times you don't let it win, the easier it gets to beat it in a fight. And the reverse is also true. The more you let it win, the more it'll control you as well. And that battle is never going to be over. It's going to wage on forever in different situations. You're just going to become more confident going into it in the fact that you're going to win. So, whatever situation you might find yourself in, 
Remember this. The same thing that's difficult right now is going to seem easy for you down the road. So take a step back, turn the worry knob down, and look at it objectively. You'll feel better about it. Hope you enjoyed the little bit different approach today and got something useful out of it, or at least were entertained by it. I want to try to mix things in, be a little bit different every once in a while. I know it can get monotonous, always attacking concepts from the perspective of business and management. And things like athletics, travel, outdoors, really any experience, can produce some of the same lessons that can be applied elsewhere. So, spend some time today and think about how these concepts can be applied to different areas of your life. Anyways, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get notifications when the next episode's released. And whatever platform you're listening in on, iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or right at our website, leave a five-star review to help the podcast to be suggested by more people, by whatever the black box algorithms are today. It really helps when you do. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you right here next time on Proving Grounds. Thank you.